Good morning, everybody. Good morning, New Hope Community Church. So um, today, as mentioned before, we're, we're going to close a, um, a seven-part series called Directions. Uh, as I said before, the work, uh, the series was inspired by uh, the work of a, a guy named A.J. Sherrill and his book, Expansive, um, which I would recommend uh, to anyone. I think that, um, I, I think that uh, the, the book itself is, is good, but the, the, the principles behind the book are essential, which is why we wanted to spend time uh, thinking about them this summer. Uh, it's also happened to be the ministry framework of Mars Hill Bible Church, which is in Grand Rapids. Um, at Mars Hill, they organize their entire church around those seven principles, around these seven principles. One of the things that, that I've heard, though, um, listening to these great preachers over the past six weeks, listening to these sermons alongside you all, uh, the thing that hit me over the head was how interconnected these directions are. And that shouldn't come as a surprise, but I did think that it was instructional, at least for me. Uh, here's a few examples. See, I don't think you can go inward, you can truly go inward, um, and not do the, the business, uh, do the business of heart renovation, which is the inward direction, without first going backward to do the business of seeing where you came from, and then also go looking forward to catch a fresh vision for where God is leading you. I don't think, or I don't think you could truly go outward in the direction of outreach and mission without also going downward meaning loving those in your community with sacrificial love, loving those that you seek to reach. And I don't think that you can go upward, the direction of understanding God, the direction of worship, the direction of theology, without embracing all of those other directions, for it is through the lens of those other directions that we embrace the Almighty. We could go on and on connecting each of the directions to the others, but that's not our job today. Our job today is to discuss this final direction. I'll be honest, my, my original plan was actually to talk about outward today. I wanted to end the series talking about mission and outreach and how we can be the church to the community. Um, but, but a few months before the series started, I, I got a call from my dear friend T.D. Allen um, who asked if he could take the outward, and outward direction, and, and I was happy to give it to him. Uh, make sure you go back and, and listen to his words if you haven't had a chance already. Um, but what that did was then that kind of put me in a position, different mindset as to where to close the series. Um, and I can't tell you how thankful I am that we are closing this series where we are today. The final direction is withward. Yeah, I know that's a made-up word. Uh, they needed to fit the word scheme. Um, withward, it's the direction of family, it's the direction of friendship, it's the direction of community, it's, it's the direction of gathering, of teamwork, of koinonia, the, the Greek word the, the Bible uses for fellowship. Simply put, withward is the direction of the church. I think that if the past six months have taught us anything, it's that the church is not a building, and it's not a religious structure or an institution. Dangerous things have been done by 
organizations that have allowed those things to be the point of Christianity. Of course, that's not to say that the church doesn't make use of those things, buildings and institutional structures. All of those things can be helpful tools to help the church be the church, but they aren't the church. The church is people. Some of you who have been around for a while, you you might remember all the way back in 2003, uh, the first preaching series preached at New Hope, preached mostly by by Jason Poling. It was a series on 1 Corinthians, and it was called, You Are the Church, You Be the Church. You don't go to church, you are the church. My suspicion is that some of us need to stop going to church, even, even now. Even in, this on, uh, in the middle of this pandemic, my suspicion is that some of us need to stop watching church. We need to stop going to church. We need to stop looking for somebody else to be the church, and we need to start being the church. The point for us as we close this series and point towards the next one, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, is that when we're able to take those directions, those other six directions, those crucial principles of what it means to live out our faith, we are then supposed to do that together, together as a family, together as the family of God. So our primary question for us today to consider is, how can we move more closely toward one another? How can we move more closely toward one another? Music. Music has been a powerful way for me to understand this. For me specifically, um, one of the primary ways that God made himself known to me was through music. Um, Specifically through, I'm really into blues-infused rock. I remember sitting in my room, standing in my room at my, my uh, stereo that was, a, was, was on my shelf, and I remember in, in my room as a teenager listening to Led Zeppelin, Since I've Been Loving You, as loud as I possibly could, with the volume up as loud as I could get it, because in this music I saw a glimpse of what raw emotion and vulnerability looked like. For me, it was how God positioned my heart to accept the truth that I was broken and that I needed something to live for that was larger than myself. In time, I came to realize that this what that I was looking for was actually a who. In many ways, music helped me learn the lesson that faith, faith is supposed to be personal and that God sought to have a, a personal relationship with me one that accepted me as I was, but had no intention of leaving me that way. The thing about our God is that he, he shows us our brokenness, and then he gets to work mending us into the people we were created to be. So move, music did teach me that faith was personal, but then it taught me another lesson. Faith may be personal, but it was never intended to be private. I have fond memories of listening to music by myself, and I still do that. I still love to listen to music in the car and sitting on my back patio, but music, like Christianity, was never supposed to be a solo sport. Even as we sit and listen to music recordings, we remember that those recordings were put together by men and women who sought to create something worth listening to. I may have fallen in love with music through Led Zeppelin, but there wouldn't have been 
uh, music to listen to there if, if Page and Plant and Jones and Bottom hadn't decided to start a band and then put music together in an album that people would what, actually listen to. Their music came from a day before like, technologically polished sounds were really popular um, that we kind of get in today's music. When you read the band's biography, it's, it's really cool. You see how they, they tried all these sort of different tricks to get the sound that they wanted. They'd record a song, and then they'd record it again with microphones in another room, and then put those tracks on top of each other in order to try to get like just the right sound that they wanted. There was like a trial and an error that came from this, and it teaches you this truth that any great band or any great organization, for that matter, is going to be greater together than the sum of their parts. Led Zeppelin will always be greater than simply the sum total of those four musicians. The church, the church worldwide, and the church locally at New Hope Community Church will always be greater than the sum total of our collected individual contributions. There is something powerful that happens when the church gathers. Jesus said that where two or more are gathered, he would be in the midst of them. Of course, that doesn't mean that God isn't there when you're alone. As, as Kara spoke about last month, important things happen inwardly in solitude. Jesus' point was that the church is not about what others can do for you. It's about what we can become when we're gathered together at the feet of the Master. The principle I've learned as I've listened to music alone is that I wasn't as alone as I thought I was. The musicians had to put music together for others to listen to, not to mention the stereo that I was listening to that music on was a, was a gift from my mother, and the CD that I was playing was a gift from my father. The point is that we live in an interconnected existence, and God wants everything to do with that. I will confess that I have a, a deep pastoral concern for the choices that we've made over the past six months in regards to isolation. We have to be careful about differentiating between solitude, which is a God-centered time, and isolation, which is a selfish-centered time, selfishly-centered time. Uh, the choices that we've made are, are made with regard to safety, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be safe, but I beg you to consider the consequences that will come from a lack of attention to community. The truth is that when we isolate, actually we aren't as alone as we think we are. We attempt to rely on cheap imitations for community and, and hope that those cheap imitations will be as good as the real thing. The problem is that we can allow those imitations to be formative, and then the next thing you know, you're acting in a way, in a way that you never intended. Cheap imitations like social media and the news will never take the place of human beings gathered together in love and worship and fellowship. I think it's good that, that for a season we have allowed to move our, our gatherings online and been intentional about that. I am so grateful for how we've been able to do that. But if we are not careful, we will drift from family and friends in a way that will hurt us down the line. Please don't misunderstand me. The point is not that I'm advocating unsafe practices. The point is that I think that we're going to need to be intentional about community like never before in the coming season as we navigate this crisis, as we continue to navigate this crisis. So I, I want us to look at a, a passage today 
that I'm going to refer to as a, I'm going to call it a keystone passage. You may have heard of uh, keystone habits. These are small changes or habits that people introduce into their, their daily routines that unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their life. Uh, basically, it's a habit that produces fruit outside of its a direct intention, making your bed each day, uh, or regularly eating dinner in a dining room with your family, or, or cleaning out your car. Those are all simple habits that, affect, that seem to affect other areas of your life in positive ways. So the passage that we're going to look at in a moment is what I'll call a keystone passage. Church, every chapter of the Bible is equally inspired, but man, this one that we're going to look at here, if we got this right, boy, we'd really be cooking. If we just took a season and practiced being intentional about the things found in this passage that we're going to look at today, our faith would be on fire, our marriages would see new levels of intimacy, our families would embrace each other in profound ways, and our church would grow like never before. If Christians embraced the call of this passage, our country would be a better place to live, our neighborhoods would be better served, our careers would see new level of influence and effectiveness. It is that great of a passage. So with that, please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Actually, my first uh, sermon that I ever preached was on Romans 12. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So first of all, we have to acknowledge that therefore at the beginning of the chapter. When you see a therefore, you got to ask, What's it there for? It's there because the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans to the church, you guessed it, in Rome, has just spent 11 chapters laying out a theological masterpiece that really could have only come from God alone. He's talked about how the world is a broken place and how all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But he's also talked about how God, who is rich in mercy put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross a sinner's death for the ungodly because of his sacrificial love for us. Jesus didn't die on the cross because of how great we were or because we deserved it and certainly not because we were entitled to it. He died because how much he loves us. He died because he desires uh, that humanity would once again be in harmony with God, walking in the way of justice and, and truth. That's why Paul talks about us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. From a Hebrew point of view, which is the point of view that this text was written from, the, the, this language is about worship, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, um, Israel would bring an animal to the temple to be sacrificed as an act of worship to atone for sin. But now, in Jesus, God himself becomes the sacrificial lamb and dies the sacrificial death once and for all. 
The price has been paid and there will never be anything you need to do to earn God's love. It is there you can count on it. On the cross, Jesus declares victory over sin, death, and evil. Thing is, he didn't just stay dead. On the third day, Jesus rose again to a life of new creation, and he is intended on us to live into that. Our lives, the Christianity is about living into his resurrection. So here in Romans, Paul is saying that our job is to live a life dedicated to new creation. What does that mean to be? What does it mean to be a Jesus follower? It, it means living a life worth pursuing, as our, as our friends at Grace Fellowship say. And the next 12 verses that, that Paul's going to lay out are going to describe what that life looks like. In verse 2, he talks about how we, we aren't to be conformed to the things of this world, but rather be transformed through the renewal of our minds. Another way of putting that is that, that our lives aren't to be dictated by the present age, but instead we are to live into the reality of the age to come. Um, read the newspaper Look at your phone for five minutes, watch TV, you will see that the present age is, a, is an age of rebellion, of corruption, of death, and of immaturity. But in Christ, the age to come is defined by love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. The age to come is about maturity, not just of the soul, but of, but of the heart and the mind. You see, Christianity was never about getting uh, right with God so that you can escape this world and, and go to heaven when you die. Christianity has always been about living into the resurrection today for the sake of a broken world. To do that, it, it'll take the renewal of our mind. I, I love that. It's about, uh, what that's about is, is, is following God's lead to retrain your brain how to think. I mean, I don't know about you, actually. Actually, in many cases, I do. But, but 2020 has been a pain in the butt. It has thrown life as we know it into shock. I wake up sometimes and I don't know which way is up. What keeps me grounded, though, is the truth that in Christ I am invited into a new way of being human, one that isn't dictated by the craziness of the present age, but instead lives into the abundant life offered by the one true King. We're called to test and discern the will of God through the renewal of our minds. We're called to use our brains. We're called to test. We're called to discern. In a lecture... Uh, the historian David McCullough, who is one of my favorite writers, he was talking about John Adams, who he wrote an incredible biography on, but this was in a lecture. He, 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 said, he, he said, one crystal night, 20 years before the Declaration of Independence, Adams stood beneath a sky full of stars, and he was thrown into a kind of transport. He knew such wonders of the heavens to be gifts of God, he wrote. But greatest of all was the gift of an inquiring mind. This might be a radical thought, but I am actually convinced that Christians should be at the forefront of science and reason and literature and poetry and art 
and music and industry and justice. Our job on this earth is to be a people defined by the age to come, and our life as living sacrifices should reflect that. You might be, be asking yourself as we talk about all this stuff about the renewal of our mind, well, well, well wait, wait, what does that have to do? I thought we were talking about community today. Well, what does that have to do with withward? Well, none of it was ever supposed to be alone. Well, where did you get the idea that this renewal, that sanctification was, was supposed to be something that was done in isolation? No, it was always supposed to be done in family, in community, in fellowship, in church. As a general rule, I think it's safe to say that it can't be done alone. One of the first verses in, from, the, from God, one of the first uh, words, one of the first quotes... <clears throat> that we hear from God in the Bible all the way back in Genesis is that it is not good for man to be alone. Friends, we, we were made for each other. Therefore, Paul continues in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, sober judgment, Sober judgment. I love, if you take nothing away from this, 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 this sermon today, just walk away with the word sober judgment on your lips. Each according to the measure of, the, of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I love that phrase. Individually, we are members of one another. You were never called to live this life alone. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, God is going to manifest himself in us in different ways throughout the church, throughout our communities, throughout our family. Let us use them. And he gives just a few examples of how gifts are manifested in the life of a community, in the life of a church. He says, in pro if prophecy in proportion to our faith, meaning if you're going to be a prophet, you better make sure that your words come from God. If, if service, then serve. If the one who teaches, then serve by teaching. If you're going to exhort, then be one of exhortation. If you're going to contribute, do it generously. If you're going to lead, do it with zeal. Be the kind of person that is worth following. The one who does acts of mercy, meaning acts of kindness, do it with cheerfulness. Never underestimate the, the power of a smile. In all of this, what, what Paul is calling us to as we, as we live a life of community, as we, as we build into each other, as we help each other with the renewal of our minds, Paul is calling us to integrity. It's not like this is an exhaustive list of things that we can do with our lives to God's glory. The point is that living in the age to come is about contributing to a cause greater than yourself and then seeing your contribution through the lens of humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's not about you. I'm reminded of, of Gandalf's words to Bilbo at the end of The Hobbit. You are a fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you. But you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Our call is to remember that this always was God's story, not ours. 
When we get that right, then from there, we should never underestimate what God can do through our faithfulness, our obedience, and our caring for one another. If we are a people called to renewal and resurrection, then that should always be about bringing us closer together, walking towards one another, breaking down the walls of division that falsely separate us. That, by the way, is, is why Jesus had such strong words about division. He, he said one, once, um, don't think I've come to bring peace. He said, I've come to bring a sword. The point wasn't that Jesus didn't um, desire peace as an ultimate goal. I mean, read the rest of the New Testament, and that should come across pretty clearly. The point was that he was intentionally creating a new family, one gathered around his kingship, around his cross, living into his resurrection. He wanted to create a new family, a new creation, a new created order defined by love. And as Paul reminds us in closing what that love looks like, that love needs to look a certain way. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with Philadelphia, with brotherly love. I mean, think about that. You love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with family affection. My family, extended family, household family, whatever, they could do a lot to harm me because, you know, we're all human and I could do a lot of things to harm them. But when I think about my family, like, I just think, I don't know what my family would have to do for me not to want to have to do with them, you know? I don't know what my family would have to do to hurt me so much that I wouldn't want to still love them and still think of them as my family. I think that, that there's something of that that what Paul is getting about what the church should be. Yeah, we're, unfortunately, we, we're going to live in this sinful world. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to hurt each other and we're going to hurt others. But love one another with Philadelphia. Love one another with brotherly love, with brotherly affection. And I love this. Paul says, outdo one another in showing love. Like, you know, it's kind of like hyperbole there, but like compete with one another on how to love each other the best. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient with tribulation. And be constant in prayer. That's what it looks like to be the community of God. Rejoicing together in hope. Being patient in tribulation. Being constant in prayer. And then I love this last sentence that Paul says here. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What I think is in that sentence is a call for the church um, to be both deep and wide. And the truth is, I think that the kind of church that, 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 that we envision for the church to be, for, for we, the kind of church that we envision New Hope to be, is one that is both deep and wide, because I am convinced that you can't be one without the other. I am convinced that you cannot really be deep. You cannot really uh, believe that you are of a spiritual maturity. You really can't believe that you've understood God more. You've understood the things of Scripture more. You've understand truth more. I do not believe that you can honestly do that and lose a heart for the lost. I don't think that there's anything deep about that. On the, conversely, on the other hand, I don't think that you can really be wide, meaning I don't really think you can reach 
the masses. I don't think you can really proclaim the gospel without understanding the depths of the riches of our God. Because why else are we actually, what, what's the message that we proclaim in that? We want to make sure that if we are wide, if we are, if we are casting a wide net, if we are welcoming the, 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 the world, welcoming our community to, to be a part of us, to be a part of our family, our call is to seek to show hospitality. Um, but it is to show them the abundant life that we've found in Christ. Are you living a life, Christian, that is worth proclaiming? That's a, that's a challenging question. I mean, what does it mean to be a community of Jesus followers? It means living in authentic love. God's not calling you to pretend to love your neighbors. He's calling you to actually love them. God's not calling you to pretend that the failings and the uh, shortcomings of your family don't exist. They do. The shortcomings of your church exist. I don't care who you are or how close to God you are, unfortunately, you are going to hurt other people, and other people are going to hurt you. Unfortunately, that's just a reality of life, but it doesn't have to be. Meaning that we can live into a life of forgiveness. We can live into a life of community. We can live into a life of confession with each other. To be the church in a way that the world sees and then when others are, are, are shown our community, they say, ah, I want a life like that. I want to live like that. So yeah, I think we're called to be both deep and wide. And with that, um, I just wanted to give a quick plug about where we're going from here as far as our teaching series uh, is concerned. Next, uh, we're going to do a four-week series um, called For Catonsville and Beyond. Uh, Basically, the idea is that um, we want to talk about what mission looks like here in our communities, uh, here in our community in Catonsville, but also how um, New Hope uh, affects and and is for uh, the greater community. I mean, there's a lot of things the church in general is known that we're against, that that it's known for, we're we're known far too much for what we are against. The next four weeks, I want to talk about what we are for as a community, and specifically how we are for our community. There's a lot, uh, a lot to get into that. But for now, let me pray. Father, thank you so much um, that you lead us in these directions. That you lead us to a life um, that considers the past, that considers the future, that considers the, the mission, that considers the inward renovation of the heart, that considers you and your glory, that considers this fact that that you and your glory did not see um, equality with God, that Jesus didn't see equality with God as a thing to be exploited, but rather you humbled yourself, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death in that cruciform all the way to the cross, dying for us. Father, it's in those directions that we gather around as a community. We, we gather around you. We sit at your feet on our knees. We, we, we just get down and we want to learn from you. Father, show us the way. Show us the way of forgiveness. Show us the way of love. Show us the way of grace and peace. Lord, we just ask that, that all of this be done to your glory, not to ours. 
that your gospel will be proclaimed and advanced into the community that we are here to serve. It's in the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.